As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And welcome to this week's Black Hole Cinema, which I believe is episode 25. So congratulations if you've listened uh, to all those episodes. Uh, if you haven't, then you can actually uh, go and find us on iTunes and listen to our whole back catalogue if you're interested in hearing several hours of us mulling over every film that's been released in the last few months. Last week, I was joined by two Chrises, and we reviewed a number of last week's films. Uh, the only one we didn't get around to doing was Woman in Gold, which will be coming up later in the show. Uh, we've also got uh, reviews of Daniel Espinosa's thriller Child 44 and the musical adaptation The Last Five Years. This week, I'm joined by Leslie Byron Pitt. How are you doing? You right? Well, I'm not too bad, not too bad. Uh, how have you been? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, I'm in a state of transition at the moment, so the next couple of weeks before I start a new role and a new job, I'll probably try to be watching as many films as possible. Great. I've got a couple of silent movies that I've picked up and purchased mm-hmm. I need to watch. And um, the last thing that uh, dropped into my letterbox, thank you, Amazon, is um, John Huston's Wise Blood. Right. Lovely. So, you know, Brad Drift for the win. Um, mm. It's going to be all be all quite interesting, all very um, good stuff. But apart from that, I'm, I'm good. What about yourself? I'm not too bad, thanks. Um, we were talking about it a bit before we started recording, um, but we actually kind of said that there is a lot out this week, but a lot of it is almost not worth watching. Notably, the um, unnecessarily comedy sequel, Kevin James's Paul Bartmore Got 2, which we both managed to avoid. <laughs> I've not seen the first. There's no point in me going no. to watch this. Oh, what? <laughs> I, I know. I know. Like, like, usually we'd have Tony here to, to watch all that kind of crap for us. <laughs> so we don't have to. Uh, but he's not here again uh, this week. He will be back for our big Marvel special. It does all kick off, really, doesn't it, from, from this Thursday onwards. You know, a number of titles coming up over the summer. Um, and obviously two trailers that broke this week, uh, specifically the uh, Star Wars trailer, uh, Star Wars 7. Um, we'll talk about that one um, and the other major trailer release uh, later on in the show. But why not let's get kicked off with the reviews, I think. First up is last week's major release, um, Helen Mirren and Ryan Reynolds' turn in Woman in Gold. Your son, the lawyer, how is he? Some letters I found in my sister's belongings. I need advice from someone I can trust. Can't you just help me on the side? There is no on the side. There's a full-time job. Oh, how can you see out of those glasses? Filthy. Here she is, my aunt, Adela, painted by Gustav Klimt. That's quite a painting. She was taken off the walls of our home by the Nazis. And since then, she's been hanging in the Belvedere Gallery in Vienna. And now you'd like to be reunited. Wouldn't that be lovely? 
and then there's justice. Woman in Gold stars Helen Mirren as Maria Altman, a Jewish refugee who takes on the Austrian government um, alongside Ryan Reynolds' uh, young uh, lawyer, uh, Randall Schonenberg, uh, to recover artwork she believes rightfully belongs to her family that was stolen uh, by the Nazis during World War II. Directed by uh, Simon Curtis and was written by uh, Alexa K. Campbell. Uh, also starred uh, Daniel Buell, um, Max Irons, uh, Katie Holmes, who I haven't seen in anything in ages, um, and Daniel Buell, um, who basically plays Maria and Randall's only Austrian ally um, when they're over um, in Europe. And he basically helps and assists them trying to win their case. What am I going to say about this film? Philomena 2. <laughs> it very much is Philomena 2. It's funny you mention that. Um, it's been compared actually a lot by a lot of people have kind of said that they've tried to emulate what they did with that one. Um, and I, I kind of think that worryingly now any film with Helen Mirren or Judy Dench is kind of going to be compared to anything kind of light-hearted, um, which this does have its dark tones in it, but anything that's kind of reasonably light-hearted is just going to be compared to Philomena. Uh, it, last week at the box office it, it, it was one of the stronger um, new releases uh, from last week so you know it definitely definitely take money I went to see a performance in the picture house um, this week uh, just gone so into its second week and it was still reasonably busy um, so it's you know it's certainly films that they're going to continue um, to make obviously you mentioned the, you know the performances generally are very good and that's definitely its strength um, I think Ryan Reynolds uh, is proving kind of this year that he's actually a very capable actor. He's kind of putting right his mistakes um, from a few years ago when he was in horrendous stuff like Green Lantern, which, to be fair, is not just—it's not solely down to him. It was an awful film, but um, you know, I feel that with this and, and uh, earlier on in the uh, only a few weeks ago, uh, even the voices, um, which he was brilliant in, and again here, he, you know, he gives a very sturdy performance. Helen Mirren, you can't go wrong with Helen Mirren, she's she's brilliant. Daniel Buell, who I only really discovered, uh, was it last year or the year before, where he starred alongside Chris Hemsworth um, in the film, the title's just gone out of my head, but the one about the... Um, um, Rush. Uh, yeah, um, yes. which, you know, blew me away, I thought he was amazing in that film. Um, and he's, it, I almost didn't recognise him in this, and it's, it's I've not seen him in too much since seeing Rush, maybe I've just just not come across um, a lot of what he's done recently. But again, as I said, you know, he he's you know very good in this, and it's always brilliant to see Charles dance. He pops up, you know, in it as well. And so you've definitely got you know a very very strong cast. The biggest stumbling block, oddly, is that it's just a bit too dull and slow and repetitive, and you kind of feel like you've been there and done that twice already in the film. Um, you know, you, f you feel like you're, you, you, you've got countless scenes of um, Ryan Reynolds tearing his hair out and looking extremely frustrated, <laughs> either at work or at home or on an aeroplane or in a hotel room, and you're just like, you know, all right, we get the picture. He's a frustrated, he's a frustrated man. Um, and then you've got Helen Mirren's character Maria, who seems to suffer from this chronic indecisiveness where she flips back and forth which I guess is supposed to fill time in the film and I'm sure in reality obviously she she probably did have her reservations at times but in mm. terms of your actual kind of enjoyment it's a bit frustrating and tiresome to see her go oh yeah we're gonna, we're gonna do this and then two seconds later go oh I'm not sure my heart's not quite in it now and then two seconds later again to be back going oh yeah let's do it and that kind of flip-flopping is, for me, really frustrating to watch. Um, and arguably, they could have cut 20 to 30 minutes off the film. Uh, it ran about 110 minutes, but probably could have done it all in about 90. I, actually, I feel like films nowadays, they have to be two hours. <laughs> it's as if they yes. films, they go, right, we've got to at least fill two hours. If you're not done two hours, it's not worth it. Um, you know, films these days they rarely are eighty nine kind of ninety minutes. Whereas, you know, I, I don't, is it is it a recent thing? Do you think where films are, are overly long? Well, no. I mean, the interesting thing for me um, when you say when you say if films are long, I think people like kind of landed on something at a certain point, and films that we kind of remember and know are usually about ninety to a hundred minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, or you know possibly 110 um but 
you know, looking back, um, as I was saying, I mean, we, we were we were talking before recording, and and, and I think actually during recording, I've got some silent uh, silent movies mm. to to watch, and um, one of them is obviously you know the very controversial Birth of a Nation, and that's 194 minutes, and it's yeah. silent, and uh, you know, so th- they they did have these lengths going on all the time. Mm. I think the problem I think we I think we have is. I don't think a lot of time that narratives are strong enough to fulfil the time yes. taken. Yeah. And with this, they've got a really great story at the heart of it, and it is really interesting. It's not something that I personally knew about, so I kind of went in not knowing anything about the story. But it is a really interesting story. I just think they could have done it a little bit better. Uh, the historical um, scenes, so the flashbacks, were, were, were very well done. Um, you know, they, they didn't shy away from obviously the you know the truth of, of, of what happened back then, and it, you know it's quite interesting to see actually how it affected all ma- you know manner of people from you know from from the poor to the shop owners to you know the you know the dignitaries which you know her family uh, you know Maria's family were you know they were very very rich um, you know mm. the fact that they had this this wonderful painting um, that ended up getting put in the you know the Australian national gallery you know is, is kind of proof of, of, of their wealth but they went from having all this wealth to having nothing obviously when you know the nazis invaded and so it's kind of interesting from that level to see how it didn't matter <laughs> you know whether you were rich mm. or poor as far as they were concerned you were jewish and you were all the same and yes and, and, and again as i said this film didn't shy away from from showing that you know you you did have them you know scrubbing the scrubbing the streets and having to write you know Jew on their door and, and, and stuff like that which I feel we've become a bit desensitised to a little because we've seen it so much but mm. it's important I think not to forget that part of our history why it's important that films like this are telling those stories and, and keeping that memory alive I guess obviously I, I mentioned um, the cast uh, you had um, also Max Irons who's a, a Jeremy's son um, and he I don't know whether he actually it's his voice or not but his, his character uh, Fritz who's Maria's um, husband uh, is an opera singer yeah. and his, his opening scene he, you know he's, he's he's performing at his wedding he's singing to his new wife and it's really interesting i want to know whether it's it's actually his voice because he's actually very very good uh, and if not he's very good at dubbing <laughs> um but but you know he he's you know he's very good in it um you know I, I mentioned charles dance um and, and and the other person um is i'm gonna pronounce her name incorrectly i know i am uh, tatiana maslani i think um and again she's very good and she does a brilliant job of kind of um you know obviously she's playing a younger version of, of Helen Mirren effectively um and she mm. does do you know a very good job uh, of trying to mimic you know, Mirren's expressions and kind of her, you know her body language and the way she holds herself um so you know she does mm. a very good job in those scenes and I think that's what the, the strength of the flashbacks are not only the, the most kind of interesting scenes in it um you know her and, and that and that car that supporting cast that are around her in those scenes are, you know are all very good and they do a very good job um you know of portraying the the kind of things that the, you know the, these people had to go through but ultimately it could have been better it's not something that i necessarily think i would have gone and watched anyway you know you kind of mentioned it's, it's not really aimed at us uh, you know our audience is aimed at that you know kind of 50 plus audience but i think for them they probably sat there and loved it and and, and thought it was brilliant and, and wonderful but i think the source material was so rich and they could have done so much more with it that I just think it just let me down a little bit um but it's, it's probably worth catching um it will be in cinemas certainly for the next couple of weeks um so if you fancy giving that one a go then do mm. people see a masterpiece by one of austria's finest artists but i see a picture of my aunt a woman who used to talk to me about life we should be reunited with what is rightfully ours before we move on to our next review, we'll have a quick rundown of last weekend's um, box office here in the UK. Um, straight in at number 10 um, in its fourth week now, the Divergent series Insurgent. Uh, it's taken just over uh, £7.5 million pounds, uh, gross to date in the UK. It's fed a little bit better um, over in the States, but probably hasn't taken quite the money 
that the distributor probably would have hoped it would. Um, at number nine, surprisingly, uh, still hanging around, is Get Hard, uh, which we briefly talked about last week um, when we uh, reviewed Hot Tub Time Machine 2. Um, and oh, funny enough, Chris Byrne, who was on last week with us, actually watched it, uh, I think yesterday or the day before, and actually said he quite enjoyed it. So, you know different things for, for different people you know um, <laughs> and then the eight uh, I mentioned it earlier unfortunately uh, Paul Bart Mall Cop 2 is um, in at number eight new this week taken just under half a million pounds uh, just above it is the just reviewed number seven Woman in Gold um, mm-hmm. that one's also taken just under half a million pounds number six was our film of the week last week John Wick which um, i, I I've got to say, I've actually watched it again. <laughs> I really enjoyed it that much. Um, so uh, do go and see that one if you can. Um, I'm sure that will be uh, still around in cinemas. Number five is the SpongeBob movie Sponge Out of Water. Um, now we're kind of back into term time now. Those films um, that were kind of released around the Easter holidays, I'm sure, will, will quite quickly drop out of the, the top ten. Um, number four is our highest new release. Quite surprised me, actually, is, is The Duff. Um, that's uh, taken just under a million pounds uh, in its first week and I'm quite surprised that was actually the one out of the films that released last week to be the highest um, but you never know mm. they, I, I am surprised at number three we have Home uh, that one's taken 18 million pounds in four weeks in the UK at number two is uh, Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella uh, that one's taken just under two million pounds last weekend and mm. still act number one is Fast and Furious 7. Um, did you see that one when it was released, Les? Yes, I did see Fast and Furious 7. Um, it's a little bit ridiculous. Um, well, I say a little bit, it's very ridiculous. But it knows um, it is, doesn't it? It knows it's ridiculous. Well, well, yeah, I mean, one thing I kind of liked is these films have evolved from mm. Point Break rip-offs to to basically be parodies of themselves mm-hmm. in their own in their own little way yeah. um you know there's a moment where kurt russell just looks at the camera and winks and <laughs> it's not so much that vin diesel he's clearly winking at all of us he knows what film he's in and um yeah i generally had a good time of it i'm i'm astonished by how much money it's yeah. made i do not think it is just because of paul walker no. i do think there's something about um those films that people are very interested yeah, in. Well, as of date, it's taken a billion uh, worldwide. So that's, you know, an astonishing amount of money. Um, and I'm sure um, in a, you know, with they, when they take this weekend into account as well, um, I'm sure that will be bumped up even more and it might even set, take a little bit um, as we run up into um, the second Avengers film, which obviously will probably explode um, this weekend. But that concludes our box office top ten. Uh, next up, we have Daniel Espinosa's thriller, Child 44. You remember when we first met? You thought that I was rude. You were staring at me. <laughs> I was mesmerized by your beauty. There will always only be you. They came as fast as they could. There's been a terrible accident. Alexei's son has been hit by a train. A train? He's claiming his son was murdered. I am sure you realize murder is strictly a capitalist disease. You have to be quiet. There is no murder in this country. There is no murder. Do you understand? Based on the first of a trilogy by Tom Rob Smith and set in the Stalin era of the Soviet Union, the plot is about an idealist pro-Stalin security officer who decides to investigate a series of child murders in a country where supposedly this sort of crime doesn't exist. The state would not hear of the existence of a child murderer, let alone a serial killer. He gets demoted and exiled, but decides, with just the help of his wife, to continue pursuing the case. Yeah. So, that's the synopsis. Um, I don't know what to say this film is kind of all over the place um one of the things that i I find myself talking about with friends um is the idea and the the idea of adaptation one of the things that always upsets me about films is when someone turns around and goes the book's better because of this that and the other and everything else like that And and, and automatically when we talk about these you know these contrasts of book and film we 
completely forget that the word is adaptation. Mm. It's being adapted for screen. It will not be the book. It will not. It may not have the richness. It may, you know, there may not, you know, there may not be something there that it does. Mm. It's not necessarily better or worse. It's just, you know, you you might favour the story being told in one medium over the other. The, the, you know, there's, there there is no better. No. Um, um, but here. Um, seems to be the exception that proves the rule um, and I think one of the reasons why is in terms of it, as this as an adaptation um, of a book it's quite clear that they couldn't get all, they didn't know what aspects of all 400 pages that they really wanted in there, mm. it is overstuffed um, this is an overstuffed dull film um, full of frustrating Russian accents and characters disappearing and subplots that seem to go nowhere mm -hmm. and unsatisfying resolutions i mean the thing that really annoys me so much is a character will appear and it tries to start as quickly as possible um with you know this character that we 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 first see obviously that becomes tom hardy's character an orphan child who um runs away and you know he he finds a new he basically finds a new father in the, the russian army um, and then becomes part of Stalin's secret police. So they're, they're rushing through this through in order and in order to try and gain this sort of momentum. But the film is just—it's not strong enough. Um, nothing, none of the dramatic aspects carry any weight at all. Mm. And it's really frustrating knowing how well the cast is. Yes. Um, at one point, Charles, once again, Charles Dance appears out of nowhere, <laughs> and right at the end, um, and you just and you kind of get the feeling that certain characters were in here and they've had bits of their character just left on the on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Then need you know Gary Oldman is is you know part of the selling point here. He's getting really you know he's supposed to be there. It, it, in one of the, as one of the main characters he doesn't turn up until like halfway through the film and even when he does turn up he's not there for that long it doesn't seem to know how to build and and conclude scenes let alone the, the whole narrative as a whole um, I don't think it's a very particularly interestingly shot film either um, so you know visually it's not very good at telling the story um, it's you know there's it's action sequences or fight sequences um, are muddled and um, I'm guessing, you know, I, if I was to say badly choreographed, the, choreograph the person who choreographed the fight would be very angry at me, but I don't think they are badly choreographed. I think they're just not, they're very clumsily put together in terms of the editing, mm. so fast and you don't seem to have any sort of geography there. The film as a whole has a really interesting aspect to it. You know, the 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 idea that this man that is part of the secret police and is um, you know is in, in a world where there is there isn't any. They say there is no crime, there is no murder in paradise. It's this running through line all the way through. So the, the, there's no murder in paradise, even though there is clearly someone killing children. Mm that's something really interesting and to see how someone changes and someone gets molded by that but the film doesn't have doesn't do well enough with tom hardy's character mm -hmm. in terms of building up his issues and his problems and his internal conflict so you know by one point in the film where you're having this character question his morals and what he's done in his life and any aspect of that and you know really on the on the nose stuff um by the end of the film it's not particularly rewarding you don't feel satisfied with with the outcome of this mm -hmm. and it takes so long to get there mm. it's just so so long i've just it's not even that long a film but it just feels long it seems overstretched it seems overstuffed it seems that like there's characters in there that should have a lot more to say um it's, it's generally a, a, a disappointment i don't want to attack it as much as i've seen some of the other reviews um floating about the internet but it's generally not a great film as i said the um it's supposed to be part of a trilogy um the, the film itself doesn't seem to actually 
doesn't seem to me like the type of thing that I'm going to see, you know, another, you know, two films out of. It does seem more mm. of a, um, con- you know, self-contained film. Is mm. that perhaps where, you know, you, you said about plot points going nowhere. Is, is that perhaps the reason for that is that, you know, they potentially have another two films or at least there were another two books where a lot of these, you know, plot lines would have gone and we would have explored Tom Hardy's character further, do you think? Well, no, I just think it just doesn't know what it wants to do because the the main story as a whole, the actual narrative as a whole is not rewarding enough mm-hmm. as opposed to Hardy's character, you know, you just you just get the feeling that they're trying to do so much. I mean, I was having a, look, a few reviews of the actual book mm-hmm. of uh, Child 44, and one of the things that they're saying about the book is it tries to encompass and taking all these other aspects of Russian history as well, mm-hmm. and whether or not that works, hmm, you know, that's that's tough. And I just don't think I just don't think it has the constraints. I really don't. I just I don't think. It's so much plotting for a sequel, although near the end you can see what they're aiming for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's, it's looking for that. Looking at that, I just think it's overstuffed with things that it has to say, and it doesn't build, rise and build properly. No. I I find myself I found myself looking at um, thinking of two films while watching this, and one of them was um, Fritz Lang's um, 1931 film. Um, M, mm-hmm. which in the hundred hundred you know it's about a hundred minutes long, but it manages to encapsulate all the hysteria and worry and social issues of the time, and still manage to be ambiguous and powerful and hard hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it deals with a similar aspect of the idea of a child killer, not only a child killer, uh, a child killer who may or may not be plagued with what he does. Um, and 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 a sympathetic child killer. That's a tough thing to do. And poor Paddy Considine, who's an, an actor who I I really love in films, once again has very little to do. And it's it's just a bit of a um, it's just a bit of, a little bit frustrating there. And then the other film I was thinking of was Inglorious Bastards by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. yeah. One of the th- one of the things that I love about Tarantino's film and and you know the, the, out of any what any what anyone says about the film, good or bad, they do usually point out one of the highlights being the opening sequence. Mm-hmm. In, when you first meet, you know, we we first meet um, uh, Miss Land, Mr. Lander, and uh, and that sequence with the farm, um, the farmhand, and and the farmer the farmer and the farm hands on there and the family and whether or not there is people hiding mm-hmm. and just the amount of tension that is drawn up that is an unbelievable scene in terms of how it is made and and concocted and choice of shots i think this is the thing that annoys me so much is choice of shots you, i i i don't want to say say something bad because obviously these this, the, the crew are doing their best but I'm looking at the shop choices and what they do in order to, to, to gain tension and it's just not there no. you need, you know, I, I, I do get frustrated and every so often in certain films I do count the seconds between when they cut shots and, and, and everything just in case and this one is so haphazard in its, shoot, in its shooting and how it puts certain things together and it it, it's just a little bit frustrating more than anything else. You see other films and other films about war, or, or even something like, um, and I know this is West Germany as opposed to Russia, but um, the one that uh, got nominated for the Oscars, and I love that film, I really do like it, and I can't remember for the life of me what it's called. But you look at other films and the way they're put together and how they shoot things, and I look at this and I, you just get the feeling that there was more tension on set than there was in the film <laughs> that's never good <laughs> that's you know that, that I, you know, I find that to be a, a, a massive issue I, I do get the feeling that when you have so many great actors like uh, uh, Nuni Rapace is on there mm-hmm. Paddy Considine as I said um, Vincent Cassell this is an, an all star cast mm-hmm. but it's a very drab 
dull way of putting these people together, and it's just a bit of a shame, to be fair. Um, they very much sold the film on um, the fact that it was produced by Ridley Scott. Did it kind of have any Ridley Scottness about it? Or... Well, no. I mean, the thing is about a lot of the Scott-free films mm. is they're usually quite well, um, with him as a producer, they're really usually quite well put together no matter what. They're, you know, they're, mm. they're slick productions. This doesn't it you know it's it's got the right location and every so often there's some really some some lovely photography and then every so often you've just got a handheld camera for for no reason or the, mm. it, lots of not quick cutting not like quick cutting in that sort of way not like a russian montage but more in the sense of just it doesn't allow scenes to breathe just moments just seem to just go and pass and you you know you get the feeling when you watch certain films that that was an important moment we need to remember this this is why it was building up to this is an important piece of information for later on in the film whereas this one it it doesn't have that it doesn't it feels very televisual mm -hmm. and very sort of you can just dip in and out of it when you wish to and it's a, just a bit of a shame considering uh, Child 44 was probably the major release of this week so it will be in um all good cinemas uh, around the country uh, probably for the next few weeks uh, yet so if you wanted to catch that one then you can do all children ages 9 to 14 43 you know 44 my grandson was mad too Uh, before we move on to our final review of uh, the podcast, uh, we are going to briefly talk about um, the two big uh, trailers that were released uh, this week. Um, they've both created a lot of buzz um, on, on Twitter and, and social media platforms. Uh, the first one we'll talk about is uh, the Batman versus Superman trailer. Is it really surprising that the most powerful man in the world should be a figure of controversy? We, as a population on this planet, have been looking for a savior. We're talking about a alien whose very existence they are not telling us the truth. challenges our own sense of priority in the universe. Human beings have a horrible track record of Tragedy. following people with great power. Power corrupts. And absolute power Terror. corrupts. Absolutely. Chaos. Maybe he's just a guy trying to do the right thing. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. No better now, don't we? 
devils don't come from hell beneath us. They brought their warrior. No, they come from the sky. The world has been so caught up with what he can do that no one has asked what he should do. Tell me. What did you think? I'm not sure about this whole Batman in Superman films anyway. I know, obviously, if you've ever read the comic book Hush, you know, Superman makes, you know, make, you know, makes an appearance in there and they do cross over often in the, in their, their big histories. But I, I'm looking at this and it looks like they are really trying to do a very dark project. Yeah. And, I don't necessarily think that might be the way to go with someone like Superman. I th- I don't know. I mean, there's some really lovely little moments in there, and um, unfortunately, unlike the first, like, unlike Man of Steel, it doesn't have that really. I, I don't. I think Man, the Man of Steel trailer. Whatever you think about the movie, I think that trailer is very yeah. good. And um, I don't think this has the same sort of grab you and just you know take hold of you in that way but it's you know it's one of those things where you know it's, it's out now so we will see it and hopefully we'll do what it needs to <laughs> to be completely honest um i hate you know i hate i, I hate coming onto this podcast and just being the big misery <laughs> uh, it's, it's just one of those things where i think we need a little bit more i'm kind of a little bit frustrated with the how the marketing's gone, how they've leaked it, and then now they've just released it because obviously it's been leaked. Um, I I don't like the fact that it's that all these uh, blockbusters are jostling for position in a way that they they don't necessarily need to. Yeah. Uh, Scott Mandelson, um, who writes for Forbes, came up with a really um, uh, it was a really good tweet where he t- a couple of tweets where he just stated, and I do agree. Where it's just like, well, if they had just waited for Star Wars to finish its news circle, mm. which does happen in these days, where this is the greatest trailer of all time, then we stop. Yeah, you know that's not until Christmas, so people will forget about it until they need to see it again, and they just released it at the time when they were going to release it. Mm. Then they would have had a lot more, you know, a lot more buzz about mm. it, and people would be a lot more aware and everything else like that. This now that it's been leaked and it's come out and it's kind of just falling out and whatnot i just don't think it it's not generating the same sort of buzz and i also feel that these things kind of play better when you actually watch them on the big screen yes definitely i I wasn't the biggest fan of um age of the age of ultron trailer um but it play i feel it plays so much better when you watch it on a big screen with the right the right tool so to speak to view it i think possibly i I don't know whether it's it maybe because i've got more of a marvel bias perhaps but i it didn't grab me quite as much i don't think as as the age of ultron trailers particularly um the for the first and i think it might be the third one um avengers trailers that they really caught me and 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 what and something tony actually mentioned is is that all of the trailers actually that have been released this year so far um you know not all of them but, but on the whole it, it, they've mm. not spoiled too much they, they've teased enough uh, you know um specter obviously which was released a few weeks ago um you know the, the star wars one which we'll talk about um yeah, briefly in a moment um and, and and the avengers all three of the avengers ones uh, and i believe there was a, a fourth one released um a couple of weeks ago as well um but all of them haven't really gone out and spoiled the story arguably you know you've got stuff like whereas Jurassic World which is coming out and basically there's no point watching the film because you, you, you've seen it all in the, in the trailer um, <laughs> but I think it's, it is something that this does do well um, you know, as I said maybe it doesn't quite grab me as much maybe I did want it a little bit more but it doesn't overly spoil anything I, I still mm. don't really know the circumstances between you know these two characters coming together having you know not being a not a big comic book reader you know certainly not dc so I, you know i don't know the history of why these two characters would perhaps come together you know in each other's world so i've kind of when i go in and see this i will have no kind of expectations of of, of what to expect so it, it is interesting that it doesn't it doesn't spoil anything um but as you kind of mentioned i think it doesn't quite whet the appetite enough um and maybe that's because 
as she said, it was leaked and perhaps should have, should have waited <laughs> um, waited for its moment in the sun. But, you know, I, I thought it looked cool. Um, you know, I, I'm going to watch it regardless of what the trailers show me anyway. No, I mean, so. yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of a given. Mm. I think I think my, my issue with, with this is not so much that it's a necessarily bad trailer. It's just that the work is just pretty much already done. Mm. Um, all you need to do is just show those guys getting ready to get get together that's it that's you know that's all they need to do i mean the line the the line exchange that they do have is nice and it is good and i'm not entirely sure about affleck's uh gravelly voice yeah that's just um, my first look at him as as batman yeah um i'm not sure i'm still not quite convinced but we'll see Mm. i think i think he's got big shoes to fill though hasn't he so yeah, it's dude. going to be difficult. Um, and I don't know. I don't know about the eyes either. The glowy eyes and the kind of metallic look to the suit. I don't know if that's, um, you know, a kind of um, something that's been used kind of before, a kind of style that's been used before, or whether it's just specifically for this film. I suspect it, it is because as, as you kind of mentioned, the way they've kind of gone down a very dark route um, with this. Mm. Do you think that's because of the success of the original, uh, well, I say the original, of, of the most recent Batman trilogy, that, that the kind of style of that is, is, do you think that's what kind of DC have kind of gone, right, that's our identity now, and that's what we're going to put on everything? A little bit. I do think that. I think with the D, uh, the DC stuff, and I apologise to any comic book fans out there, but I do think they're kind of scrambling about a bit. Mm looking to try and find out what sticks well yeah looking at how marvel has you know what's happened with marvel the dark approach i mean the glowing eyes and everything else like that i i think has got more to do with the fact that we've got an, an older batman now um so th- i'm guessing he will be using a lot of instead of being so great and on the peak of his <clears throat> powers and whatnot there'll be a lot of him you know, with all these machinery and gadgets, because he's he's an older an older dude. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, we'll have to have a look. I mean, I was always a little bit worried about Man of Steel when I watched it because, well, from what we know of Superman and his the nature of Superman from the movies, mm-hmm. they've always been so colourful and bright and optimistic. Yeah. And um, that kind of takes a lot, you know. Man of Steel takes a lot of that out of there. Yeah. And I think that's kind of tough. I think I think that's a, a, a difficult thing. I mean, even Marvel, at its in, in their darkest hours at this moment in time, the cinematic universe still seems to be very bright, colourful, very human, you know, humanist films. And I don't, I'm not entirely sure if, um, you know, if DC have got the same thing. I mean, it's very hard to turn around with you know remembering what happened with superman returns which did make a lot of money but just didn't make as much money as they thought it would or they wished it would and looking at looking at how superman returns came out and go and the way people were interactive with that so now they kind of went on the other spectrum and now we've got this kind of dark slightly morbid superman who you know doesn't mind killing people Mm -hmm. With this one, obviously, it's it's the big opportunity for them to kind of test the water for an Avengers-style you know, Justice League film, which they've been teasing for for years, and <laughs> I'm still convinced will never happen. <laughs> um, but this mm. is their opportunity to get it right. I try, I try not to speculate too much. I'm I'm someone who hates when the when a trailer comes when a trailer comes out and um, straight after you get this is a trailer, it's amazing, and all and then after that is here's a shot by shot breakdown of what's going on. It's like, well, what? No, that's not what you use your film studies degree for, is it? Really? <laughs> you know, so you you kind of have to be on tender hooks every so often with with stuff like this. So you know, yeah. Um... But arguably for me, the, the the two DC films that are our out next year, the one I'm more interested in seeing is Suicide Squad, because I think for me, the strength of DC is its villains. So I'm a lot more interested actually <laughs> to see that than I am really to see Batman vs Superman. <laughs> Batman vs Superman, Dawn of Justice will be out next year, the 25th of March. Um, so this is the first of many trailers, I'm sure, um, that will be coming out over the course of the next year uh, the other big one obviously was star wars episode 7 the force awakens we we had a teaser uh, earlier on in the year uh, but this is the first kind of major trailer the force is strong in my family 
father has it. I have it. My sister has it. You have that power too. Are you a big Star Wars fan? No. No, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> no. I was um, going, yes, I love Star Wars. I'm so excited to see it. I can't be honest, I'm not interested in the slightest. <laughs> I said that. I no. I it's... Said, I'm probably the only film person in the world that's not remotely interested in this film. <laughs> no, I think there's a few of us, we just don't say no, it. don't say it. Um, right. Yeah, <laughs> unsubscribed to um by the droves of people that listen to us hopefully <laughs> yeah i think i think it's it's full fine it's mm. it's great that you know that these trailers are paying lots of lip service yes. i'm now getting you know but the thing is for me i'm not a fan no. of star wars so watching this stuff makes me just turn around and go hmm mm. Okay, well, yeah, you're you're getting everything there for people that love this stuff anyway. Yeah. You know that that's fine. Once again, it's a little bit like um, Batman and Superman. These trailers are almost predetermined for the people that are already made up their mind on what's going on. Yeah, and it's just a, a chance for them to see stuff moving. Yeah. Um, for me, I need I, I you know there, there needs to be something in there for me. I will say that in both trailers. John Bo, uh, Bo, Boyega, his whatever his role may be, and I know he was mentioning something during Comic Con, but I kind of ignored it. But whatever his role may be, that is what I'm interested. Mm-hmm. In. I am interested in what he is going to do. Um, everyone else, I, I really don't care. I mean, that last shot, Harrison yeah. Ford. Harrison Ford. Uh, well, you know, just, it, oh. <laughs> it just reminds me of every everything I don't like. About Star Wars, which is just ridiculous characters like Chewie and <laughs> like uh, what was the the drip, J- Jar Jar Binks? I'm sure I'm, I'm hoping to God he doesn't turn up, but <laughs> those kind of characters yeah. remind me for every reason why I don't like watching them. Um, and you know, I, I, and I will admit I've not even seen all of them, um, so you know maybe I can't, I can't judge outright. Um, but but for me, I just was just face palmed my hand when he said that line. I'm just like that's just terribly cheesy and i'm sure the people that love this stuff loved that but for me i'm just like i, I now want to see this film less <laughs> mm. um but actually as you said i'm sure it works for the people it works for it, they will have known but when they were making that trailer that they, they that harrison ford had to be in it um i'm not too familiar with mark hamill uh, a bit more familiar with carrie fisher but i don't believe either of them popped up did they no, um, Hamill is obviously doing the voiceover, yeah. and, and once again, it's just massive. It's just massive fan service, yeah. isn't it? It's just, uh, oh look, this is going on, this is going on. Um, I think ultimately, what what kind of frustrates me is the um, like Lucas is correct in saying that these you know these films were made for kids and these yes. and everything else like that. And I think there is a general, there is a consensus out there of people who re- who kind of realise that one of the reasons why they didn't really get on with whatever the last you know the last trilogy was for them it's because they've grown up and it's for another batch of kids and i think it's the same for this now so when i see all this lip service i'm not particularly interested because i I just don't see why we keep playing and playing and playing to Mm. people who yeah they've grown up with it it's now you know 1977 and we, do we have to see like Harrison Ford in a Star Wars movie? Do we have to, you know? Come yeah, on. Yeah, it's like I, I don't. I just don't know if it's going to work with Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. They look so different. Um, you know, Carrie Fisher's so much Botox; her face doesn't move anymore. 
And, mm. you know, Mark Hamill put on a few pounds since, you know, you originally played Luke Skywalker. Um, so I just don't know if it's going to work. And obviously you mentioned it, it is predominantly a kids' movie. But the strength of kids' movies these days, um, you know, not not just um, live action, but, but the strength of, a, a, you know, animation and, you know, and how well they do at the box office is actually this going to succeed where... The previous films, you know, the, the you know, particularly the most recent um, trilogy. Even though, as you said, the older fans didn't quite enjoy it as much as they did because they've grown up. Um, but whereas, obviously, the youngsters, you know, lapped it up. But because of the strength of kids' films, the well, say kids' films. But I bloody love animated films. But um, you know, the strength of you know your, your, your Disney's and your Pixar's and your DreamWorks, those the stuff that those guys are putting out, is this actually just going to kind of get lost in the crowd? And is it going to pick up enough of an audience this time round? Well, I think it will. I mean, like like you, we mentioned in in the box office, Fast and the Furious Seven, mm. a billion yeah. worldwide. Yeah. Um, and I think it will be the same here. Yeah. I think with one one thing about Abraham's. Um, and I'm I'm, I'm a, a bit of a Star Trek fan. The original, yeah. um, not the, um, the 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 first film that he met, he created. Yeah. I think one of the things he's a very canny operator, slick, um, well produced films, mm-hmm. whether or not you like them or not. And um, if you do like them, uh, for me, it's if I like them, they're kind of like Star Trek, and they they can bring in a new new crowd yeah. and putting putting in sabotage is I. Uh, for me is a nice touch and, and and having that sort of aspect and knowing enough about Star Trek but having enough to try and do certain things to, to change and alter that and that's one of the reasons why I don't think I like Into Darkness as much because they try they, you know they, they utilise too much of the old guard stuff yeah um, but, but Abrams knows as well um, you know what is going to make the fans excited um, because I think more importantly he's a fan himself of these series that he's now picking up. Um, obviously, yeah. you, know, you know, back in the day, he was, he was worked a lot in TV. Obviously, you know, Lost and, and Alias and, and various other shows. But now he's he's in this film world. A lot of what he's doing, or practically everything he's doing, is is picking up existing franchises that he obviously loves. And so he can sit there as a fan and go, I want to see this, this, and this, and I'm going to make it happen. Um, and you know, and that's yes. what he did with Star Trek. You know, you know, Leonard Nimoy was there um, in that film, not because you know, he needed to be there, but because he knows the fans wanted him to be there. Um, yeah. And, you know, he, again, it, it's exactly why, as you said, you know, why is Harrison Ford back? Well, he's, he's back for this very reason, because people will get excited about him being in it. They'll be excited about Mark Hamill being in it and Carrie Fisher and all the old guys that are coming back for it. They might not need to be in it, but they need to be in it because the fans want them to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's 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 one of those things that my, I think one of the problems is, I never felt any need for the, these films to continue on. Nope. Um, obviously, other people do because they've got money to make and mouths to feed, <laughs> and and the, you know if there is an audience out there for more of this, for more stuff, then obviously it should you know people will go and make it for yeah. them. I don't, you know, I'm not one to turn around and take that away from people <laughs> I'll try to anyway yeah, but, um, but one of the things I do have an issue I, I do find issue with um, is when you are someone who isn't that interested in it it's like um, for me when I listen to a lot of people they go oh, when, when I was a kid I, you know my first thing I saw was Star Wars and everything else like that I didn't have that mm. the first film I saw was Masters of the Universe <laughs> And yeah. so, therefore, you know, I don't have that 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 thing. I watched them quite later on. It wasn't that they were silly. I thought they were entertaining for a lot. But I, you know, I do see the, I do find issues with them. Yeah, I do find them dragging and uh, drag, you know, bit draggy and dull in certain places. And you know, you know, when I went to the cinema to watch Phantom Menace, oh my goodness me, that Trade Federation nonsense. <laughs> really. And and now we're getting lots of people turning around and actually being very revisionist about yeah. it, and and being very sort of like, oh no, it wasn't you know those that that other trilogy wasn't that bad. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't know. I just think it. 
I don't know. I, I I think it passed me by in the first round, so I find it very difficult to try and get in with yeah, it and get in I, touch I think with you it. have to have been bought into it early um, to yeah. appreciate this. And it's and it kind of is the same with with, with Star Wars. Um, you know, I came to it again a lot later, and that was that was down to the J.J. Abrams um, revival. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to go back and and, and watch it again. Um, you know, and watch the old old stuff, shall I, shall I say? Because I can't look at it with the same kind of appreciation that someone who watched it originally, you know, twenty odd years ago, did. So that they appreciate it and and love it in a different way. And and that doesn't. It's not to say they can't look at it uh, objectively. Um, but so often mm. they can't. <laughs> <laughs> Worst thing about the, the, the bigger fans is how dare we uh, have anything other to say mm. yeah, exactly. <laughs> then it's the greatest thing in the world yeah so, so if anybody's actually still listening now one of the biggest franchises in the world um hey i'm sure they don't like my favorite film no, either you know no. not you know house party's got a 5.5 on the internet movie database so <laughs> up next our final review the last five years The Last Five Years by Tony Award-winning composer and lyricist Jason Robert Brown is a musical deconstruction of a love affair and a marriage taking place over a five-year period. Uh, Jamie is a young, talented, up-and-coming Jewish novelist who falls in love with Kathy, a struggling actress. Their story is told almost entirely through songs using intercutting timeline device. All of Kathy's songs begin at the end of their marriage and move backwards in time to the beginning of their love affair, while Jamie's songs start at the beginning of their affair and move forward to the end of their marriage. They meet in the centre when Jamie proposes. Uh, it stars uh, the delightful Anna Kendrick um, as Kathy and Jeremy Jordan, who I assume is, is a big Broadway star, um, as Jamie. And basically, it's just kind of the two of them through the whole film. Um, you get you get some brief, you know, cameos, um, you know, none none famous as it were, but you get some, you know, other pe- people popping up now and then, but none of them really saying or doing all that much. Uh, just very intimately concentrates itself on these two characters and their relationship. The issue is. You just don't believe it. <laughs> they're, they're both lovely and um, you know attractive young people, but they just got very little chemistry on screen. Um, and the idea uh, behind the structure of the film, uh, you know, the fact that you've got these um, two contrasting, um, you know, the, the fact that the timelines move in opposite directions is interesting, and I'm sure it works very well on stage you know it's an adaptation of a, a big broadway show um i'm sure it works on stage but in the film you just get a little bit lost and at first i thought am i just stupid you know <laughs> is it just me not mm. paying attention because i've got to be honest i lost interest about 30 minutes in and i'm a big musical person you know i, I love musicals like you know i regularly go to the theater so it's not that I'm just one of these people who hates singing through the films. You know, we, we've talked about it. I remember when I was back on um, the first wave of, of Black Hole Cinema where I talked about Les Miserables and, I, and, and Tony obviously said about the fact that oh, he's not really keen on films where they sing all the way through. It's fine if you've got um, something like, you know, a bit more uh, fluffy and light, Mamma Mia or something like that, where obviously they've got it interspersed with lots of dialogue. He needs to watch On the Town and realise what he's missing. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> I, and I think that, you know, Les Miserables is my favourite musical of all time. Um, and um, even though the film has its pitfalls, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And, you know, for me, certainly the fact that they sing all the way through doesn't put me off. And that's not what's putting me off here either. Um, it's just dull. It's dull. And I don't know if the music's all that good. Um, you know, it's kind of... I guess it's, it's got a realism. It's obviously got a realism to it. It's telling, a, you know, a very ordinary story of these two people and kind of the, the beginnings of their relationship and, and ultimately the end of their relationship. And um, Anna Kendrick is 
is wonderful, but I think she's one of the hottest stars um, at the moment, you know, alongside, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, etc. Um, you know, yeah. she's really hot property at the moment, and and she she's delightful, um, but I just don't really believe her and this chap who is an arsehole. He's not particularly... <laughs> you know, the first thing you want if you're going to tell a story about a, a relationship is that you've got to be able to believe in the relationship. And he's just such a tosser that you're just like, why the fuck are you with her, love? <laughs> or why are you with him, rather? Um, it, it just doesn't... He's just not very likeable. Um, basically, you know, he, he's very highly strung and, he, you know, he, he's very ambitious and it's, it's very selfish. Um, and... For God's sake, he cheats on the poor woman. You know, who could cheat on Anna Kendrick? You know, come on. Um, <laughs> and it just it just doesn't ring true. Um, and for me, it, I don't want to say he's the main issue, um, but he's so unlikable from the beginning that mm. you, you, you're just not interested. And as I said, I did, I did really struggle to get through it. I had to, I did stop it, I think. Once or twice, I think I had to. I, t- I took a break, <laughs> went to the loo, which I, you know, I wouldn't dare do. Um, you know, if, if, if I'm t- totally immersed in something, but I just did lose interest. Um, I remember looking at my watch, and I'd only watched it half an hour, and it felt like I'd been watching it for three hours. <laughs> um, and and as I said, it's an interesting concept. The fact that you've got her moving backwards and him moving forwards. And I got to the middle part, not too badly, but after that I started to lose where they were in the timeline. And it was only the fact that I knew that she was moving backwards that it was where that I knew kind of where I was. It wasn't particularly clear in the story because their relationship is so turbulent almost throughout it um, that it seems like they have a pretty naff relationship for four out of the five years that they're seemingly together for. And as I said, the songs themselves, you know, they aren't that great. Um, you know, they're certainly not ones that I would, you know, sit and, uh, and put on my, um, you know, my Spotify and listen to again. Whereas completely different to, I watched uh, Begin Again uh, with uh, Kieran Knightley and Mark Ruffalo. Uh, a couple of weeks ago and that one that soundtrack I've had practically on repeat since I saw the film this one I, I couldn't even <laughs> there's not even there's not even a song out of it that I go oh yeah that was that was good that was memorable um, you know it just, mm. just wasn't immersing just wasn't immersive at all um, yeah and just it, it just is a bit dull as well and, that, and that's just a shame because on paper, as I said, it's a really interesting concept, and the way they've made it is is interesting. It's just, it's just, 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 just didn't hold my attention, and it should have done. Um, I think Jeremy Jordan was miscast. You know, so he, he didn't bring any kind of likability to the role at all. There's, there's, there's one brief moment when you're like, oh, he's kind of sweet, but otherwise he's a dickhead throughout the rest of the film, and it just, just didn't hold my attention. So, <laughs> there we go. You see, that's that's always a problem. I mean. I don't have an issue with unlikable characters. Yeah. I think you kind of. I, I think often they, you know, they do make, you know, they they are quite interesting. Mm-hmm. But I do find that where while they, you know, if they may not be likable, but they've got to be engaging. Yes. Yeah. And they, you, you have to engage with them in a certain way, and you have to, you know, be a part. You may not uh, sympathise with them, but you may have to sort of, uh, sort of empathy there or some sort of relatability mm. um not saying that you 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 will you know you will like them or anything but um i, I think case in point there I, I i watched recently um three days of the condor mm-hmm. um which is an amazing film really good really really good film and then at the end you get to a point where a character is saying stuff that is quite despicable mm-hmm. um really against what many would think of as human nature but you understand why he's saying, mm. and you, you're, you're, you're. When I say you're with him, you're not with him, but you are comprehending and seeing why he would look at the world that way, yeah. and that's the engaging thing. I find it really difficult. But if it's like you're saying, you're with, you, you, you know, you, you, you get a character who's completely unlikable. Mm. If he's not engaging as well, then I don't think it, you know, it's doing the right yeah. thing. And 
I think it's really important with something like this where you have a couple. It's one of the reasons why I'll, ne- I'll never watch Paranormal Activity again. <laughs> Next week, we'll be back with the big Marvel special uh, where we review the whole lineup, uh, almost, um, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and then obviously finishing off with a big review of the Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, it'll actually be the biggest show we've done to date. We'll have um, seven people on the panel together, so um, <laughs> there is the saying, uh, too many cooks in a kitchen um, spoils a broth but we'll find out so come in and join in the fun for that one uh, you can find us on Twitter at Black Hole Cinema um, you can find myself on Twitter at uh, Dan Thomas Taylor and, and and your Twitter handle um, it's Afro Film Viewer so just Afro Film Viewer and then you'll be able to find me lovely and I'm sure you'll be back on again soon so thanks for joining no problem and that's it we'll, we'll see you next week we'll see you next week